Good evening, family. Come on in. Have a seat. I'm glad everybody showed up on this chilly evening. And uh, I did see where it's not going to freeze, so that's a good thing. I don't care if it rains, as long as it doesn't freeze, right? So let's pray as we get started. We are in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 5, what are we in? <laughs> chapter 6, yes, chapter 6, and um, we're going to hit the ground running with this. So if you're here for the first time, this is our study. We're just going through a study called Free to Love, and the bottom line is this, is we cannot love well unless we ourselves are free. So we want to be free so we can love with the love of Christ, the love of the Father. And so uh, we've had a few, few weeks where we didn't, weren't able to get together. I'm trying to remember what happened. We had our one night last week, and then what happened before that? Was it weather? Okay, yeah. So anyway, we're, you know, we're always going to pretty much, uh, you know, on midweek things, we'll always kind of opt on the side for safety. We're, we're, we don't want to get people out on the roads if it's, if it's questionable, but, uh, but anyway, we'll meet when we can, so it's good to see everybody. Let's get started. Father, in the name of Jesus, what a privilege to be together, and what a joy to be with family tonight. And Father, we want to open our hearts to you, and Holy Spirit, we submit to ourself to you. We consecrate our heart to you. We consecrate our mind to you. We consecrate our ears to you, that we may see, that we may hear, and that we may know truth. And so, Lord, as friends and family tonight, as we dive in to your word and dive into this study that our, our good friend Bill Loveless has put together, Lord, you have, you've used him as a scribe to write out these truths. And what I love about Bill is he lives out these truths. These are, this is not theory for him. And so I thank you for Bill. Bless he and Paige. Uh, even as they enter into a season of, of rest and restoration and recovery. And so we bless them. And Father, tonight, teach us. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Be the Spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all truth. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. 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 Go ahead and turn your book. We're going to use that a little bit tonight. I've got some on the slides, but some I want to read directly out of the book. I did have lunch with Bill on Monday. He says hi. For those of you who know Bill Loveless, Uncle Bill, we call him around here. But he says hi, and he's, he's in a season. Bill is 69 years old. He's right on the cusp of turning 70. And he, he told me on, on Monday, he goes, I'm just tired. I am wore out. And I said, well, you've been traveling. He's been to Memphis. He's been to Wyoming. He's been to Colorado. I mean, he's been going and going and going. He's going to go back up in the winter. In the winter, he's going to go up to Brooklyn. And so, I mean, he has been, what I love about Bill is that there is no sign of slowing down for him. And I keep telling him, I want to be like you when I grow up. I want, I want, to, I want this, to, this life to continue to, to do this. And so Bill sends his love. He, they'll be with us some during the holidays or during the, this season because he's taking a break for a little bit just to recover and rest. And he tells me every time he sees me, I consider Fredericksburg, the bridge, my home church. And I said, well, we'll see you and we see you. So anyway, he says hi and sends his love. So as we dive in, I uh, want to encourage you in a couple of things. If you look at the slide there, again, we're talking about free to love. And, and this is this, the question that Bill, I love what he asks here is, how free are you? Because here's the bottom line. If we're not free ourselves, then our capacity to love is diminished. Does that make sense? 
If I'm not free and I don't understand my freedom in Christ and all that tags into our identity in Christ, who we are and whose we are, if we don't have a good solid understanding of that and a foundation of that, then we are going to be diminished in our ability and in our capacity to love freely and to love with joy. Now, I don't mean just doing loving things. There's a lot of people out there that do loving things, loving acts of service, and all that's good. Yay, more power to them. But there's more to this, and it's really more about becoming love. It's as an identity. Love is God's identity. That's who He is. God is love, 1 John tells us. And so as we are created in, in Latin, it's the imago Dei, the image of God, then we too should have as our identity not just the ability to love, but become love ourselves, right? So love is a noun, but it's also a verb, right? There's, there's something to it. And so we want to be the noun verb and the verb form. So action and identity. That's what we're about. So as we continue through this study, I want to remind you of this. We read this a few times, but if you look on the screen, our aim under love is not to be loving, to, not to be loving to this or that person, but to be a person possessed by love as an overall character of life. I love that statement. Love is not what you choose to do, it is what you choose to be. I love that. There's a reason why we're called human beings and not human doings. Amen? Because when you get the being part, the doing comes out naturally. It's something that you leak out. Life comes out of you. And we talk about that around here. This We want to be life leakers. That where we go, we leak out life. Where we live, where we work, and where we play. Amen? So where we go, we want to leak. We want to, we want to leak out the love of Christ, the life of Christ. So listen to this. It's not about coming to the unlovable and trying to love them. What is that? We would call that works. We're just trying to do something. And that's not what this is about. Rather, come to them as a loving person. So there's that identity piece again. Even God doesn't just love. He is love, and it is his identity. I love that statement. I love that. Even God doesn't just love. He is love. It is his identity. And this is Dallas Willard. Are you all familiar with Dallas Willard? He wrote The Spirit of the Disciplines. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful man. He's gone home to be with Jesus. He beat us to the punch, I always say. And uh, he's there now. But his writings are phenomenal. If you ever want to do some, I would say, some deep dive, (laughs) then read, find books by Dallas Willard. He's a prolific writer, so there's a bunch of material out there, and you'll be encouraged. I love this. Love loves. In John chapter 13, remember this is Jesus speaking. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And uh, just love the heart in that. So chapter 6, now the last time we talked about areas of solical plaque, That's a kind of sounds like a complicated word, but it's really not. The word soul means flesh. It's, it's the carnal nature of us. It's the flesh nature. So it's, that, it's the primal nature of who we are. It's the part that, that, that always wants to live, survive, uh, eat, arise, kill, eat. That's that primal piece. And when we're driven by the flesh, the Scripture says that only ends in death. But we are to walk by the Spirit and therefore not fulfill the lust or law of the flesh. Steve? 
Yeah, the flesh is the unregenerated part of who we are. That is us apart from Christ. So it's not just the physical, although the physical is a part of that. But when we talk about the flesh, we're talking more about a mentality than the actuality. So like, um, and I'm actually going to show this a week from Sunday. I'm doing a uh, sermon. It's a standalone. I'm calling it Stormproofing Your Holidays. Because we're all about to go into a holiday season, and is it true people seem to lose their mind about this time of year? Have you ever noticed that, or am I the only one? I mean, just drive through the Walmart parking lot or a mall parking lot or the rim, and it's like people are losing their minds all of a sudden. Well, it's a season of heightened intensity. And so in light of that, I want to do a message where we address some of the solical thing. What, how do we engage our family of origin. When we go home to visit and we don't, you know, some of us who are more mature and been around a while, but when we get around certain family members, we turn 13 again. It's like we lose our entire mind. And so why is that? And what is it about those family dynamics? And what we want to do is get you prepared for when you engage, because here's the thing, in truth, we had 430 people here on Sunday. So out of that number of people, spreading out to go visit family or family coming to visit them. How many of you think there's a, probably a good percentage of that group that has experienced trauma in their family of origin? They've experienced pain. They've experienced abuse, loss, rejection. You can just go down the list, right? We could fill out a whole legal pad of that stuff. So a lot of that, this group is going to end up re-engaging some of the very people that were the perpetrators of that abuse. Now, we've all gotten older, we've all grown up, some of us like to think, but when you get back in that dynamic and that, that it, it brings things up and the enemy leverages that pain like a trigger or the, like the firing pin on a gun. And so what we hope to do is get everybody prepared, get their mentality ready so that when they go back into these environments, they go in as missionaries commissioned to bring the gospel of peace into their families. Amen? And I think we should just commission everybody for the holidays. We should just commission one another and say, look, we're, we're going back into our homes and we're not that 13-year-old kid anymore. So all that to say, one of the things I want us to prepare for and one of the things I'm going to talk about is whole life shalom. Shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. It means everything integrated in your life. And so we're tripartite beings Still a little bit of my thunder from that message, but I think y'all can handle it. So here's the deal. We're tripartite. So if you take three circles, you draw a circle here, a circle here, and a circle here. So you got a, like a triangle almost, and they all overlap in the middle. That's, you put Jesus right in the middle of that. That's where shalom resides. That's where peace resides. That's where grace resides. That's where his presence resides, right in the middle of that. So we are body, we are mind, and we are spirit, tripartite, three-part, right? So what we want to do as a church family, and me as an equipping pastor and discipling pastor, want to teach all of us how to navigate life and have balance into those three pieces, mind, body, spirit. Solical is sort of the, the soul is the, the makeup of all of that put together. So the soul is kind of who you are, but in this context, in fact, we'll define it, and, and, and he defines it a little bit. But the solical plaque that we're talking about is the carnal nature and the flesh nature, not just the physical body, but the flesh being the unregenerated part of who we are, the part that hasn't been crucified unto Christ, the part that still tries to resurrect itself on a regular basis. 
You ever had a moment where you thought, wow, I thought I dealt with that 10 years ago. Where did that come from? You know, we throw resurrection parties all the time, right? Don't tell me God doesn't raise the dead. We do it sometimes. It's our old man we raise sometimes from the dead, and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Solical plaque flesh deals with all that. So as we go through it, you'll see how that works. Three other areas of solical plaque. Again, what is plaque? Plaque is the stuff you don't want in your veins or your arteries. Amen? It's the stuff that does a lot of damage. And it's the stuff that doesn't come up overnight. It's cumulative in nature. It's, seeing, it's, in that, it's how we've eaten. It's how we've lived. I know I'm going to start meddling if I go there on the health side of things. So I'm not going there, but I will eventually. So I have to, I have to know you all all love me a lot before I go there. But we need to deal with that because we are stewards of what God's given us. Amen? And that's not just your bank account. It's our body, too. It's our, our mind, body, spirit. So anyway, so solical plaque it's what happens when the flesh begins to accumulate in the arteries of your spirit and begins to block flow. And we know what happens when blood flow gets blocked, right? Our, our capacity is diminished. It, you have brain fog. You, you feel lethargic. It's, it's like when you eat at Taco Casa at lunch and you had two, two, two of those burritos instead of one, and then at 2 o'clock in the afternoon you need a nap, Right? You're just foggy. You're lethargic. It's, things are gummed up. Well, spiritually, that happens too. So solical plaque is what we're going to talk about. And so look at this. I love what Bill says. Our greatest calling as followers of Jesus is to be lovers. So I want to move through and, and break these down. In addition to false beliefs, and this is what we talked about what, three weeks ago now since we met. False beliefs, unbelief, roundedness. What in the world is that? That is a typo is what that is. So in my brilliant flying, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what it is. Woundedness. Roundedness. You know, don't be round because, it, you know, anyway. In woundedness and our self, yeah, amen, and our self-life. That's that self-protection and guarding. That's the flesh. There are at least three other areas of solical plaque, and here they are. Judgment. The judgment we make about others. And some of you are thinking, wow, we're, we are really going to go to meddling tonight, aren't we? But this is an area that we need to arrest in our own lives. We need to come face to face with our own tendency to judge. Amen? amen? All right, two people said amen. I appreciate that. I just needed one. Taking offense. Oh, boy, we really are going there, aren't we? I want to recommend a book by Brant Hansen. Brant Hansen, B-R-A-N-T, Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, and the book is titled Unoffendable. Have any of you gotten that book? Some of you have been. What do you think so far? Wow. <laughs> wow. What's great about Brant and the way he writes, he is a, he's a, he's a nationally syndicated um, uh, radio DJ, and he has programs, as podcasts, he has radio programs, and all just calling. He's talked to millions of people over the years. Um, but what I like about him is he writes with a great sense of humor. He has some hysterical stories where he tells on himself a lot about this issue of our tendency to be offended. And it's not a political statement on the culture or anything like that. It's he's talking to followers of Jesus who, for whatever reason, we've embraced an entitlement to be mad, an entitlement to be offended to be angry, and he really, really unpacks that well. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So taking offense, the third part, 
piece of the solical plaque that gums up the arteries, that clogs up your spirit, that bogs down your life is self-protection. We're not going to cover that this time. We'll do that the next. So let's start with this, judgments. Number one, we're going to do two of these. Judgments. Uh, The judge has two meanings in the Bible, the word judge. And one means to choose. And we see this meaning used in Luke 7.43 when Jesus and Simon Peter are talking. This is what they're saying. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And he says this. Remember, the, it was a parable about, about the debt. And, and uh, one had been forgiven little, one had been forgiven much. And Jesus says, well, who do you think was, you know, had the greatest, you know, forgiven the most? Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus says, you have judged or chosen correctly. Now... The second meaning of judgment is, and there it is, quote, to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong. To pass judgment on the deeds and words of others. Now, that's where we kind of get into the uh uh-oh stage. Like, ooh. To uh, pass judgment on the deeds and words of others. It is the second definition that we're going to focus on. And judgment is this. Listen to this. Living out of your flesh living out of your flesh to pass judgment on another person's thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and behavior. And so there's a difference between assessment and judgment. Judgment has a darker connotation. And so we'll talk about that as we go along. We see this form of judgment in the following verses, and there's several here we're going to look at. In John chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus flat out says, You judge, talking to the Pharisees, you judge according to the flesh. In other words, you judge just by what you see. And how many know there's a meta-narrative going on? There's a lot bigger story going on. Remember we talked about this the last two Sundays? We talked about warfare out of Ephesians chapter 6. That there's a much bigger thing going on, and there's a whole other cast of characters involved in this thing. We are not alone. Or as John Eldridge says, our universe is highly populated. And so we're not alone. Our universe is highly populated. There's a lot more going on. But we tend to, and what Jesus is addressing here with the Pharisees from a religious mindset, is they were just looking at the outside of the cup, so to speak. They were just seeing something, making an assessment, without even seeing a person in what we'd call 3D. You know what it means to see someone in 3D? It means to look beyond what you just see on the surface. And here's the deal. Every person in this room has a story. And if we were to take each other at face value, we would not know each other at all. We need to know the background. Steve, I loved coming over to your house that day. A bunch of the guys came over to pray for you. You know what I loved about coming to your house? Was seeing your wall of fame. Steve has this wall. He has pictures with like presidents and apparently extremely powerful and important people, and you've got pictures of them. You know what that did for me? It got, I got to see you in 3D. I didn't just get to see you as the cane-waving man on the front row who loves Jesus with all of his heart, and soul, mind, and strength. <laughs> no, what I got to see was a man who has a story, and I got to get another piece of your story. And whenever we have conversations, sometimes the most valuable things that happen at church are not what happened in this room. It's what happens out in that hallway. What happens up and down the hallway or, or what happens, you know, at one of our after, you know, we have a, a meeting or something and we're all sitting around talking and eating together and, and Russ is leading us in a, 
in a, in a training, a leadership forum. And the com- so what happens is, is we get to know each other in 3D. So we go beyond just the surface. And that's really what we're talking about. He's saying, you judge according to just the flesh, just what you see. And Jesus is saying, no. Listen to this. Romans 2.1. He says this, Therefore, and this is Paul speaking, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another... You condemn yourself. Someone say, uh-oh, out loud, because that's, that's an uh-oh moment right there. You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Boy, this is, this is where Paul is reiterating something Jesus talked about, about how, uh, you know, while we're, while we're worrying about, you know, uh, the splinter in somebody else, we've got a plank sticking out of our eye, a log sticking out of our eye. We're knocking stuff over while we're complaining about everybody else wondering why things are breaking. And so he, this is Paul in another way reiterating this. Listen to this. In our flesh, we tend to make judgments about many things, such as how someone looks, their race, their sexual orientation, or their behavior. We, we just tend to just lay right into the obvious things and miss what... I keep using this word because it's important. It's a meta-narrative. It's a bigger story. Remember another way we say it around here is context is king. And we say that in terms of Scripture. That's why I like teaching through a book of the Bible because we can get the whole context rather than just airlifting verses out of the Bible exegeting or eisegeting. I like to exegete instead of eisegete. And so as we do that, we get the bigger picture. And then the next time, hopefully, you read the book of Ephesians, in your mind you're going, all right, Jimmy said this 11 times. It's a circular letter written by Paul from a Roman prison and thinking he might die that very day. So these words matter because they have weight and gravity. What is that? That's the bigger story. That's the meta narrative, and that's context. And that helps you understand the book better. Okay, so here's the deal, and let's go, we'll go through this, so we're going to touch on some of this. And I had this very conversation, I had a college student from Abilene Christian University call me today, and she wanted to talk about this very thing. And I said, here's the deal, and, and I, I called her by name because she's having to deal with this a lot as she's ministering on campus, and, and I was in Abilene for 10 years, so I know Abilene very well. And uh, I said this, the language we use here is the bottom line is that God's called us to love everyone. And we can accept everyone, but that doesn't mean we have to affirm everyone's behavior or choices. And I told this young lady, I said, on this particular issue, you have to make a decision. Do you believe that the Bible speaks clearly on this and definitively that this is a sin, this behavior? Okay? And so when you make that determination and how you determine that, it's going to predicate how you go from there. It's going to go one way or the other. And I said, so if you decide it is, then you now have basis to stand on so that you can now navigate those that you're engaging and that you can love radically, love fully, love wholly. In fact, when I was in Abilene, we ministered to a ton of people from various backgrounds. And I told her, I said, here's what we have to understand. God does not rank sin in degrees. We do that. So 
a lot of things that we read in the Bible, we can get all bent out of shape over that and get all judgmental about that, and yet we've got a guy three rows behind you who's slandering people right and left. But we look the other way. It's getting real, isn't it? So, so in talking to her, I said, here's what we do. I said, I said, we accept everybody, but we don't affirm everybody. I said, you know what? I'm going to accept a man who's struggling with lust and pornography. I'm going to accept him as a brother in Christ who's struggling. And that is a sin. That's something he's doing that's violating his own conscience. It's violating his relationship with his wife. It's violating it. It's damaging, and we're not getting all of who that individual is because his capacity is being diminished by sin, by hidden sin. But I'm going to love him just the same, knowing full well he's in the middle of that. That is not going to change my love for him, my acceptance of him. However, I will not affirm that behavior. I can't look at that guy and go, hey, dude, it's all good. It's not. It's not all good. It's the same for this. It's not all good. But I will love you till the end of the world. And I will, I will take a bullet for you. Because God loves you a whole lot more than I do. And, I, and his love, you can't outrun his grace and his love and his heart for an individual. And so this is radical. And it goes, here, most, of what we, most of what we do as people is that we're repulsed by somebody's particular choices or behavior. And how, the degree to which we're repulsed is the degree to which we, we judge. And we got to get over it. We live in a fallen world do you understand that? This world has not been redeemed. This world is damaged. And all of us are born into sin, and we are damaged goods. Now, here's the deal. We're saved in being saved. We're full in being filled. We're free in being free. Does that make sense? That's a, this is a process. It's called sanctification. It's one foot in front of the other. It's a day-in, day-out struggle. We'll, we'll get four steps ahead, three steps back, but we celebrate the one we gained. And on the day we fall and on the day we don't make it, praise God for grace and mercy. Remember what mercy is? Mercy means that we don't get what we deserve. Grace is we get what we did not earn. You just flip them. And so the deal is, is we live in a broken, fallen world. And when I say what that sign on the wall says, what does it say? Somebody remind me up there. No perfect people allowed. If you're perfect, you're not going to fit in here. So in Christ, though, we are perfect, right? But So we're perfect, but we're being perfected. Free, but being freed. I mean, this is a, it's a, it's a dichotomy. It's crazy. And it's so hard for us as Westerners to wrap our mind around because we're very linear Greek thinkers. But an Easterner has no problem wrapping their mind around it because they don't break it down into its individual parts like we do. I told the story a long time ago in here. Some of you may remember, some of you don't. You know, We can't just admire a starfish in the seventh grade. We had to hack it up with a scalpel in biology class. We couldn't just admire it for the hole that it was. We needed to see how it worked. So we cut it all up and went, wow. And you can never put that thing back together. We did that with frogs. We did it with a fetal pig. I mean, we, we did that with stuff because we can't just admire it for what it is. We've got to tear it up into its parts. That's very Western thinking. It's very Greek thinking, and we're hugely influenced by that. But an Eastern mindset can wrap their mind around what we would think is a paradox with no problem. They don't need to know how the watch works. They just want to know what time it is. Any of y'all wired that way every once in a while? 
But a high C on the disc test is going to know everything, every detail about every gear in that thing. Yes, sir. I hate to be a pain in the butt. It's okay. <laughs> we don't affirm you, but we accept you fully, just so you know. <laughs> there is, to me, as elder, pastor, whatever, as guardians of the flock, protecting the flock, that you don't allow people who are homosexual practicing into full fellowship with That's a whole other conversation, Steve. Okay, tell me how it's different. Yeah. No, I mean... Bottom line is, is we're not going to let somebody on the platform who's, who's practicing any sin that we know of, anything that they're walking in of that's diminishing their capacity as a follower of Jesus, anything that may disqualify them. So whether, you, whether it's someone who's practicing homosexuality or somebody who's in adultery at the time, they're going to have to have a conversation. And for a season, for whatever that is, they're going to be stepped down from that place of leadership. But we're not going to distinguish that homosexuality is somehow worse than adultery. Because the bottom line is, they're both sin. So, so it doesn't matter what that is, we need to deal with that justly. And that's something we do. And we have done that, by the way. And so... We will welcome you into our building. You are free to come and worship Jesus. You come here, and, and you have a place. Yes, absolutely. And I have to tell you, when I was in Abilene, we had a lot of folks come to our church because some situations happened where we actually took a gay bar that was in our back parking lot, and we painted it for them, and we mowed their grass, and we built a relationship with them. And some of them began to attend our church, and the one that was on the front row dancing like he was at a rave party got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he died six months later of AIDS. But he went to heaven to be with Jesus because his whole life was transformed. And it was transformed because we didn't judge him. We loved him. We accepted him, but we didn't affirm Dan's behavior. And, I, and that has become a model for how I handle that. So we are not going to, just like we're not going to bar somebody from the table for communion, we're not going to bar somebody from coming in this building just because they, that's our practice. If, that, if that's what we do, then we're going to have to stop every, every man that's practicing or, or fall into pornography. So, so we're going to have to get a filter for that. Or every housewife that is overeating or because of gluttony and food addiction. I mean, you, can, you start down that slope, we're going to have to start barring everybody from this building. And we won't do that here, by the way. We won't. We won't. I will risk. I will risk standing before the throne of God and, and God saying, "Jimmy, you were just too darn nice. You were just too darn compassionate. You were just too accepting." And uh, I'll risk that. So, so yeah, yeah, you're welcome. So, in our flesh, we tend to make these judgments about many things, such as how someone looks, their race, sexual orientation, or behavior. Judging others is a big part of our fleshly DNA. That's our flesh. That's that solical thing. It comes as easy as breathing. However, as our judgments of others multiply, so does the thickness of our solical plaque. In other words, the more we give into this, the, the more lethargic we become because that plaque builds up. Again, it's like your heart getting plaque full and arteries getting blocked and Gosh, I can go into that, about, and I'm sure we've all had family members, and some of you may have experienced that yourself, of how that accumulates. 
Your judgments will continue to crowd out your desire and ability to receive God's love and be a conduit of his love to others. And I've seen that. I've known that to be true in my own life. I've fallen to that. And the Holy Spirit loves me enough, and I think he loves you enough too, that he will check us up when we fall into this. You ever felt that nudge? I mean, my nudge is more like a cinder block brick falling on my head from two stories because the Lord just won't, he won't let me get away with this stuff. And he will check me up. And I'll either listen or I'll ignore. That's, that's on me. And uh, so, yeah, we want to be able to walk through and begin to grow in our ability to love radically and love fully and love wholly. The vital question concerning judging others is this. Do we have any excuse for judging anyone? Okay? So go to page 62. I'm going to read a little bit out of, out of the book because I want to put all these slides. Listen to this. Page 62. Judging others is such a big part of our fleshy DNA. We just read that. The vital question is this. Do we have any excuse for judging? Listen to this. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Look at the next scripture, Romans 14, 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? And, and then it says, the question is, who is calling you to judge, and are you the one true judge? James 4.12 gives us the answer. Listen to this. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you who judge your neighbor? And then in 1 Corinthians 4.5, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. And then moving on, listen to this. God, this is on the screen. God is the only judge because he is the only one who knows and can righteously judge the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. It's hard to know what's going on under the hood. You know, it's, it's, it's hard because we have a difficult time getting past the outside. And uh, I remember when I was in high school, uh, some of you guys will relate to this. My wife told me the other day, why don't you do some lady stuff? Because it's always football and cars. And I'm like, I'm not a lady. I, I, I have to bring her up here to do that. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, thank the Lord. So, so I was kind of that wild child in high school, and I had a fast car, 69 Chevelle. Super Sport with a 396, and it was just, man, the car was scary. It was a rocket on wheels. And uh, I remember this guy wanted to race me, and he pulled up beside me, and he had this junker of a car. It was like an old Ford Galaxy 500. Remember those? Well, what I didn't know is that that vehicle had a 460 in it. Remember those, Ford 460s? I didn't know it. I thought it was his mom's car. <laughs> Until we took off at the quarter mile out on the highway, out on Highway 380, up in West Texas. I mean, he left me. He left me in his smoke. I was breathing his fumes because I saw the taillights of that Galaxy 500 go, and I, and I was like, "What? Well, I didn't know what was under the hood. I was judging on what was on the outside. It looked like his mom's car. It was a sleeper. We call that that car. That car had some horsepower under the hood. But we do that with people, don't we? 
We make these judgments. I don't know about you, but I'm actually excited when I find out that I was wrong. You ever had those, mo- those moments where you, you know you judge somebody, and you may not even thought of it consciously, but then you're surprised at what's under the hood? You're surprised at the life that's there? We do that with just people's expressions, the way they look, just even their countenance. You know, some people just look grumpy, right? They just look that way. And then you get to know them, you realize they're not that way at all. It's just their face. I don't know what's happened. Something's happened, but they don't show joy. But then you get in their presence and you talk to them, you find, man, there's a really amazing person under there, under the hood. You couldn't get past it. But once you do, again, that's getting to know people in 3D, you begin to find, wow, there's life there. There's joy there. I just wish they would connect that with their mouth and their smile, you know? And uh, be a little more. In fact, Annette tells me all the time, you need to smile more. You need to, you look mad sometimes. I'm like, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She says, sometimes you just look grumpy. And I'm like, I'm not. She goes, but you look that way. So anyway, that's, that's how my wife helps me navigate life. So, so anyway, but it, it, we've got to get past, past, the, past the hood. What's the engine? What's driving that person underneath the surface? And you know what that takes? Time. You know what it takes? Effort. Sometimes it takes pausing a little bit when you're on the way from one place to another, long enough to have a conversation, to actually stop and listen. It takes, it takes effort. It takes intention. So here's another one. In addition to God being the one and only true judge, you can't both be loving someone and judging them at the same time, can you? That's an interesting statement. It's very difficult. Here's what I found. The best thing I can do for somebody that I'm angry at, I'll just say it, mad at, ticked off, you know what the best thing I can do for them is? Pray for them. Pray for them. I mean, you begin to speak life over somebody and begin to bless somebody. First of all, it'll mess you up real quick. And you'll go from contempt to compassion, sometimes in a nanosecond. And, and that is the best thing we can do. Begin to speak life, begin to pray, begin to bless. Jesus said, bless and do not curse. And there's a principle, and we'll teach on it at some point, but a long time ago I heard this teaching. It changed the way I even thought in terms of blessing. Because blessing has many forms and many, many tenses to it. But I remember hearing this guy teach about blessing. And in his study, he had found that he found that One form of blessing is that when you speak a blessing over somebody, remember Jesus said, bless those who persecute you? Why would you do that? I grew up in West Texas. It's eye for an eye there, right? It's like, you know, you just go out behind the shed. But Jesus said, bless and do not curse. He said, bless those who persecute you. And the teaching this guy had, and he demonstrated some things, had some great stories about it. He said this, that when you bless someone, you're actually positioning them under the canopy of God's justice. Now think about that for a second. What you're doing is releasing control of what you want to happen to an individual, and you're placing them under the canopy of God's justice and His grace. And then whatever happens is what God wills over that person's life, not what I willed over them. And some of the examples this guy gave was there was a... um, a strip club had, had purchased property next to their church. And, man, they were in full, you know, full regalia, no regalia. Anyway, it was a strip club. So, I mean, it is what it is. And, 
And, of course, a lot of people in the church were really upset about it. And, of course, they wanted to pick it. They wanted to go to the city council. They, wanted, they were just all up in arms, and the pastor was upset too. And, he, and this was when I was in Abilene, and I heard him say this. And he said that uh, he wanted to go talk to them, you know, and, man, they were going to begin to pray against them. They were going to anoint the four corners of their property with oil and pray them away. And, and the Lord just kept messing with the pastor, saying, just bless them. He's like, I can't. I can't bless this. He said, well, then you don't know what blessing means. And so it drove this pastor into a deep dive study of the word bless. And he began to look at it from all different angles. And when he realized that what you do when you bless is you actually position something under the canopy of God's justice, then we release, we release our will and our control to God's. And we're literally saying, not my will, but your will be done. We're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not mine. Yes. And, and therefore, too, we ask for forgiveness as we forgive the others. Yes. Because these things happen to us to teach us something about ourselves. Yeah, good, good, Paul. That's right. That's right. And when we respond well, we grow. And when we don't, it's kind of like, uh, like some of those... Um, prerequisite college courses, you, you have to take it again. <laughs> You're going to go back around that mountain, right? We get retakes when we fail these things. Isn't, isn't life just one big lab class in a sense? Yeah. So Shauna, Shauna just said, that the question in the book is, I'm doing this out loud because we have people watching us online as well, but what are some specific judgments you find yourself making about others? And you said for yourself you found about insecurity. Say it again. That I judge people based on my insecurity. Gotcha. You've taught us to see Jesus and trust Jesus yes. and others. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and thank you for bringing that up, Shauna, because that kind of speaks back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, there's been a, several incidents. When I was in Abilene pastoring there, we had a young couple come to me, and they were so excited about the church. They gave their hearts to Christ, which was beautiful. And then after a couple of months, someone, some well-meaning person came to me and said, did you know they're not actually married? They never got married. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? No, I didn't. I actually went... I went, well, let me just tell you something. You know, they are now followers of Jesus. I said, the question we have to ask is, do we trust Jesus in them? Because is it our position to come alongside them and say, listen, now that, now that you're a Christian, you need to get married because you're living in sin? Or do we believe that the Holy Spirit, that the God who spoke still speaks? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit who acted still acts? Do we believe that the one who convinces, we use the word convict, but it's actually the word convince, do we believe that he will convince them of sin? We use convict as though it's like sending them off to prison. But it's really the word convince. Do we believe that the Holy Spirit has the capacity to convince somebody? So here's the deal. It means that we have to have a lot of patience because it won't always happen in our timing. And what we will do is try to get ahead and try to make something happen because we see the right way to do it. And then what we do is exactly what Abraham did. He birthed an Ishmael. 
And that has been a problem ever since. How many of you have birthed a few Ishmaels? That means you get out ahead of God, you shortcut, you see the end result, but instead of waiting on God's timing and God's perfect way of doing it, you think you've got an idea of how to do it, so you're a fixer, so you get out and do it, and guess what? You birth a disaster, right? An Ishmael. And so instead of an Isaac. And so what happened is, is this young couple, after I had my fun with that individual, I'm going, oh, no, what's, I bet God's up there scared to death. And I said, listen, I said, they are now born again. That means the Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in them. The Holy Spirit that works in Billy Graham is working in them right now. And do we trust Jesus in them that when the timing is right, they're going to have an aha moment, a revelation, we call that. That means peeling layers back. And they're going to go, wait a minute. We shouldn't be living like this. I said, are you just going to go take your Bible and throw it in their face? And why don't you just go run them off now? Get rid of them. I mean, they're just, they're just riffraff in the church. So what happened was about a year later, they came to me at the end of a service, standing at, and I'm down there at the altar just talking to people, and they came up to me and said, Pastor Jimmy, we're not married. And I said, I know. <laughs> And they're like, well, you haven't said anything. I said, I trust Jesus in you. You're born again, aren't you? Yes. You read your Bible, don't you? Yes. I figured the Holy Spirit would tell you when it's time. And they said, we want to get married. And I did their wedding. And it was beautiful. Not long ago, the same thing happened here. And the wife came to me and said, said, I, um, I'm feeling convicted. She used the word convicted. I said, you mean convinced? She said, yeah, convinced, whatever. And she said, we're not married. We've been together for several years, and we're not married. And I said, well, so? What, what do you? And she goes, would you do our wedding? I said, absolutely. Why don't we do it right here? And a few, about a month and a half later, we did a beautiful wedding here for them and celebrated that. See, that's, the, that's where we, we love enough to trust Jesus working in another person instead of getting out front and trying to fix everything for God. Don't worry, God, I've got this. That's like when my dad, I was going to help him change the tire on the car in the driveway. It was back when we did our own stuff, right, to cars, back when they weren't just a rolling computer. And uh, we actually worked on our cars. And I remember I was going to get out there, but I was just a kid. And I had, like, I don't know if they were Fisher-Price or Tonka, some little plastic wrenches. And I said, Dad, I got this. I got this. And I get out there. He's got the wheel jacked, you know, jacked up and blocked. And he's going to pull this, this tire wheel off. And I get out there with my little plastic wrenches. I start trying. I thought in my little mind that I was going to actually break those bolts loose. And, man, I'm just knurling the end of that plastic wrench. And my dad's smiling. He's laughing. He just let me go at it. Till I finally just frustrated, and I'm like, it's not working, it's not working. He goes, son, I got this. He goes, he goes let, me, let me show you. Of course, he's got the big, and he breaks those things loose. And that picture stuck, has stuck in my mind my entire life, and I've caught myself doing that again <laughs> with my heavenly father. <laughs> I got this. Don't want to bother you. Go, go rescue Africa or something. I've got this. Or, you know, go deal with ISIS. I've got this. And, um, man, man, and you know what? The Lord loves me enough. He'll let me work at it. <laughs> let me wear myself flat out till I finally go, I surrender. He's like, okay, finally I can work. But the Lord loves us enough, um, loves us enough 
that he trusted Jesus working in us, why can't we trust Jesus working in others? I'm telling you, this, is, this goes deep. It goes very deep. So, in addition to you're not judging others, you don't have to take ownership of another's judgment of you. This is huge. This is big. This is big. If you get that book, Unoffendable, it deals a lot with this right here. And I, I would encourage you to get that book. You can get it on Kindle. You can have it in 30 seconds if you have an iPhone. But, but read the book. So let me read it again. In addition to your not judging others, you don't have to take ownership of another's judgment of you. And you said that's hard. That's difficult. It is, isn't it? When you hear that someone slandered you or betrayed you or spoken an untruth about you or gossiped about you, how difficult is that to not want to go take them out? He looked for the job <laughs> I'm thinking more 12 gauge, but yeah, I mean, that'll work, you know, whatever. I mean, but we do, I mean, we, we want to go because our flesh, this is where self-protection comes in, we want to validate ourselves. I want to make sure everybody knows I'm not that. That's not me. I didn't do that. And we will wear ourselves out trying to rally people around us to validate our position. Is that not the truth? Oh, that's all self-protection. What that is, that's, that's trying to protect the flesh. I don't want to be exposed. I, oh, but here's the deal. And it's so interesting how Jesus handled offense. And how he dealt with it. We're going to look at some scriptures in a minute on that. But you don't have to take ownership of what others say or do toward you or say about you. And again, that's a huge piece. But let me tell you, that is a maturity piece. That's, but here's how, if I could say anything has helped me with this one issue. And trust me, as a pastor, I'm looking out over this crowd. I know some of you have talked about me. You've had me for lunch before. I know. You didn't go to Backwoods Barbecue. You went home and had me for dinner. Right? I'm just saying, this is the reality of it. And I know it because I've sat in your seats. I've done the same thing. So I get that. That just comes with the territory of what I do. But here's the deal. Any of you that are in leadership positions of any kind, you do know there's a cost to leadership. And the cost is people are going to talk about you and they're going to judge your actions, motives, your intent of your heart. So you, just, you either just accept that as a part of the gig or don't become a leader. Just be a follower. But, so I know it comes with the territory, and so I just have to learn to just take it as it comes and go, okay, that's all right. I just release that over to him. So the thing that's helped me the most with this was when I began to understand my identity in Christ. When I begin to value what God says about me in his word more than what people thought about me or said about me, that is when it, the game changed for me. That was when I began to find, in Shauna using that word, security, that's when I began to find my security in Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I've been crucified with Christ. If I'm, if I'm getting my feelings hurt because you're upset with me and gossiping about me, you're talking about me, you didn't like something I said in a sermon or whatever, didn't like the way I did something or, or a decision we made, then what that tells me is that I'm not fully crucified in Christ. I'm self, I, I'm still, my flesh is still alive and well. So whenever I hear something like that, what I've learned to do is I ask the Father, Father, is this true? Is there a kernel of truth in this criticism that I can learn from? And Father, why does this bother me so darn much? 
Why is, is it because I'm still self-protecting? Is it because I'm still not, not fully released in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and through me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. It's probably because I've allowed something to not be crucified. I'm still allowing flesh to rule. And there's a simple thing. It's an old thing, but there's this idea of, you know, you've got the spirit and you've got the flesh. And the Galatians 5 says they're in opposition to one another, right? So the question is, which one's going to win? Which one's going to lead? It's the one you feed. You feed the flesh, it's going to dominate your spirit. You feed your spirit, it dominates your flesh. What you feed will lead. Does that make sense? And so at the end of the day, I have to go back to the God's Word and my identity in Christ and understanding that I am who He says I am. I am who He says I am. I'm not who I think I am, and I'm not who I, how I feel at the moment. I have to say, what does God's Word say, and what is the truth about who I am? Well, according to God's Word, I've been raised up together, seated in Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. In Christ, I've been made to be holy, blameless, above reproach. That's the word unaccusable. In His sight. That's how He sees me. If that's how He sees me, then what does it matter how someone else sees me? See what I'm saying? Now listen, you don't just start embracing those truths and then zap, you're done. This is a lifelong process of sanctification and walking this journey out and continually reminding yourself of who you are in Christ. One of the things I use, this has become a a great tool for me, Bill Loveless gave us, we've handed out over a thousand of these right here uh, just recently, but this is taking God's Word and begin declaring and speaking over your own life who you are according to God's Word. In Christ, I am fearless. In Christ, I'm confident. I love this. In Christ, I am worthy. Isn't that beautiful? Well, you say that over yourself a few times. What happens is you begin to hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ. It's not just the Word of God as in the Bible. It's the very message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom. In Christ, I'm strong. In Christ, I'm complete in Him. If I'm complete in Christ, what does it matter what somebody else believes about me if in Christ I'm complete? See what I'm saying? So use this. Let this be something that helps you walk in grace over that so that you're not taking ownership. And I heard it said like this, that every time somebody comes against you, speaks something against you, it's as though they're putting seeds in your hand. And here's the, here's the thing. The beauty of that is, is you have a choice what you're going to do with those seeds. You're either going to plant them into the soil of your heart, and they will take root and grow. Or you can turn them over and let them drop to the ground and walk away. Amen. Jesus called it shaking the dust off your feet. That was one of the words he used. But in a very real sense, it's as though when somebody comes up, have you ever been slimed? Yeah. Somebody just comes up and just lays one on you, and you're just like... Did not see that coming. And it's like Bill Murray from Ghostbusters. He slimed me. I mean, he's just like wiping stuff off. And what that is, those seeds are now in your hand, and you have a choice. Isn't it beautiful that God gives us a choice? What a gift. That gift's gotten us in trouble a time or two, hasn't it? But when we choose well, we choose well. 
we drop those seeds to the ground, we walk away. We say, you know what, I'm not going to take ownership of that. I will not allow that to take root in the soil of my heart and my life. Steve? <laughs> Me too, brother. Me too. So let's land the plane on this, taking offense or being offended. Offended is defined as anything or anyone who causes a person or group to feel hurt, angry, or upset by something said or done. We live in a time where everyone seems to be offended by something or someone. Boy, is that not the truth. Uh, you can't watch the news without somebody who's offended or upset. And well, welcome to the human race, right? Two categories of offense. One is direct. That's where someone you know has rejected you, maligned you, or judged you. And we've all been on the, on the receiving end of this, and most all of us have dished it out ourselves. Let's just be honest. And look at number two. Indirect offense is where you're offended at something or someone who's not in agreement with how you think, feel, or, or believe. In other words, it's more of, a, it's more of an indirect. It's, it's ancillary. It's out there, to use that word, Cynthia, ancillary. You... Gave me a new word today. So look at act, on page 64, there's examples. Look at this. At the bottom of the page, um, the next to last paragraph, and I'll just read it out loud for you who don't have the book. We can be offended by politicians whose politics don't line up with ours or cultural norms and standards that contradict ours. We as Christians can be offended by other Christians whose biblical beliefs don't line up with ours. Or even those whose style of worship music differs from ours. Have we not seen all of these in our lifetime and, yep. and recently? Yep. And so these are just some examples. Now, how did Jesus respond when he was rejected, abused, and eventually crucified? Did he take ownership of others' offenses toward him or offend them back? We see the answer in 1 Peter 2.23. Look on the screen. I've got it there for you. Look what it says, and while being reviled, he, Jesus, did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now there's a principle in this of how Jesus handled offense, how he handled being rejected, betrayed, or reviled, which means to be... Um, vilified. It means to be, be cursed and, and, yeah, all of that. And look what it says. It says, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, Jesus kept turning back to his source. Remember living life from a new source? He kept turning back to the source and saying, Father, what you say matters, not what they say. What you say matters, and who you say I am is what matters, not what they say. Because we knew and we see this in the biblical record that the crowd was pretty fickle, were they not? One day they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're laying out palm branches for him and Messiah's return. This same group of people are gathered in a courtyard not a few days later and they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Yeah, give us Barabbas. Same, same crowd. So we know that people are fickle in what Jesus said in John chapter 2. He said that he did not entrust himself to man because he knew what was in man. Isn't that powerful? So Jesus knew how to love people fully and wholly without giving his heart away to the point of being damaged because his heart was with the Lord. His heart was with the Father. So listen to this. 
The word revile means to criticize in an abusive or angry manner. There it is, cursing. Jesus did not react negatively to other people's offenses toward him. He kept giving those offenses, there it is, over to the Father, which freed him up to be loving, caring, and compassionate. And you know what's awesome? Think about this. Follow the logic train. Who lives inside of us? Who indwells us as followers of Jesus? Jesus himself, his very spirit, the Holy Spirit, it's the spirit of Jesus, indwells us, lives in us. The Bible says, dwells in us fully. In him we are complete. That means we're whole. We're told that the sun sets us free, we're what? Free indeed, right? Jesus on the cross uttered these words, tetelestai, it is finished. All of this is true for us, which means we have the greater one living inside of us which means we have all of the force of heaven that created Australia, right? Big country. That created Texas, right? Big country. We've got all of that force living on the inside of us. Man, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Amen? We have all of that in us, which gives us the ability to consistently and constantly throw off offense. And say, oh, Father, you're so amazing. And really, Father, all that matters is what you think about me and what you say about me. There comes a time as we mature and grow where we stop trying to protect our reputation. You know what the Scripture says about Jesus? He was made of no reputation. (laughs) Jesus was like, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. People are going to say what people are going to say. Amen? But when we move into self-protection and guarding ourselves, we, we move into a defensive posture. And I just don't see any room in the Scripture, particularly in the New Covenant, under Christ, to live defensively. We live on the offense. Amen? We're advancing the kingdom. We're moving the ball down the field. We're doing it with joy. We're doing it with grace. We're doing it with enthusiasm. We're doing it with passion. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit should be abounding in us and out of us, so that people get slimed every time they're around us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and oh, the big one, self-control. But remember, self-control is not a fruit of your flesh. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not about you governing yourself. It's about you submitted to the governance of the Spirit. Amen? And when that's happening, I'm telling you, life's good. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. Father, we love you and we honor you. And Lord, thank you for how you continue to check us up. We welcome it, Lord. We welcome it. We welcome what you're doing in our life. We welcome what you're saying. We welcome what you're teaching. Father, teach us to extend the same grace to others that we ourselves require to extend the same mercy that we ourselves require, to extend the same love that we ourselves require. Give us the grace to lead with mercy, to lead with grace, to lead with love. Father, as we do, lives will be transformed because people in our orbit will be touched because of Christ in us and through us, the hope of glory. 
We honor you. We love you. Father, I pray for all of us that even as we lay our head on our pillow tonight, these things will be going through our mind. I pray that we're challenged by this. I pray that we'll be grown through this, that we'll be expanded because of this. So, Holy Spirit, would you continue to give us grace and help us process well what we're learning so that we don't just say, well, that was an interesting teaching and never think about it again. Father, we want to grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus. We want to grow and continue on a growth path. So I pray for my friends and family here that, Lord, that you will continue to speak to us, even in the night watches and and in the shower and on the drive and on the commute and wherever we are, you would continue this conversation with us. And, Father, I know that this week you'll present opportunities for us to love well. Father, may we find ourselves doing exactly what Jesus did, and that was submitting our heart to you so that we may love others well. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen amen and amen. Love you. Bless you.